is this where it needs to be? Or <laughs> uh, good morning. Um, yeah, I'm really excited to be up here again. Uh, if you don't know me, my name's Chris. Uh, I work at Madiba, um, and uh, yeah, Paul asks me once in a while to to preach. Normally, he gives me like the time after Christmas or random times, but. Um, I'm pretty excited. Anyways, for the past few weeks, um, we've been working through the book of Colossians, and uh, it's really exciting because it's actually my one of my favorite books of the Bible. Um, and so, uh, when Pastor Paul asked me to speak on one of the passages in Colossians, I was like, "Sweet, that'll work well." Um, and I don't have slides today. Uh, I don't. I'm not as flashy as Pastor Paul with his fancy fancy slides behind him. Um, so sorry for those of you at home as well that uh, use them, but. Um, we're going to be discussing Colossians 3, um, verse 1 to 11. And so you can take a minute um, and turn there uh, in your Bibles or on your devices. And it was interesting because uh, when I was looking through the book of Colossians, um, I was looking through the New King James Version, and uh, the headlines of the last few sections sort of summarize really well the last few weeks of sermons uh, that Pastor Paul has spoken on as well as um, what the Apostle Paul is trying to write uh, in the letter. And I know that there are other headlines used in other translations, but I really like the way in which the New King James summarizes. The headlines are the following. Um, First, we see a headline of not philosophy, but Christ, which the Apostle Paul um, and also Pastor Paul talk about not being persuaded, not being influenced by persuasive words, not allowing the almost right to become right in our philosophy and in our choices, but instead allowing the truth of Christ to be what we base our life and our mindset around. Last week, the headline in the New King James was not legalism, but Christ, which talks about not allowing the legalistic viewpoints to influence whether someone is more Christian than another. Does eating a certain type of meat make you a worse Christian than others? But also, are we allowing our choices to become its own self-imposed religion in which we divide ourselves over issues that really have no influence on our salvation? In both the philosophy conversation and the legalism conversation, the the Apostle Paul is trying to get across the fact that it is Christ that matters, not the intense legalistic um, conversations about the gray areas in the faith, not intense philosophical conversations about the almost right or the persuading of what could be right. What matters is Christ. What matters is our salvation. Do we know and understand that Jesus died for us? that he was resurrected for us. And if we believe in that truth, we can become a new creation. We can become alive in Christ. As we become alive in Christ, it will then influence how we live, how we function in the church, how we function in the world, the choices that we make. Becoming alive in Christ, Paul establishes, um, and he uses the first couple chapters in Colossians to set the basis for the discussion that we've had the last two weeks. As we continue this thought... Uh, This morning, we're going to discuss the third, not blank, but Christ headline. And today, again, this is the New King James. Um, The 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 Apostle Paul, through his letter in the good to that good little church in Colossae, that that headline is not carnality, but Christ. Now, carnality—that's that's that's a big, weird word um, that I wanted to define before we get any farther. To take the literal definition because I think it really sums it up well. It says, the quality or state of being merely temporal or worldly. So the Apostle Paul says, let's not get bogged down in philosophy. Let's not get bogged down in arguments about the almost right, arguments about the nuanced legalisms 
um, of what we can and cannot do as Christians. And also, let's not get bogged down in the worldly point of view. Instead, above all these things, let's focus on Christ. So, what is this worldly point of view? Well, that word temporal in the definition is another way to think of it. And temporal literally refers to time. Um, And time in itself is temporary. The world that we know it is temporary. One day we'll enter into an eternity with Christ, but until then, we're living in a temporary world. We're living in the worldly. And this comes with a point of view, and it comes with a corruption caused by sin that Paul says we need to avoid. So not carnality, not worldly, not temporary, but Christ. What is this temporary point of view that Paul says we need to avoid? Well, that's where the passage this morning comes in. Uh, We're going to read the passage, and then we're going to talk about the differences between a worldly and a temporary identity versus our identity that comes from our position with Christ. We need to know truly our position with Christ and our identity with Christ, and then live rightly in that new identity. Let's read um, the passage. So it's Colossians 3, 1 to 11, and in this case I'm reading from the ESV. If then you've been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming." In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Let's pray before we go any farther. Father God, I just pray that you um, open our hearts to what it is that you want us to hear. Um, Lord, I, I, I do uh, pray that these are, these are your words through me. Um, it's, not about, it's not about me. It's not about, um, you know, it's not about the world. It's about you, God. And so I just pray that you um, use me to speak uh, your truth. Um, and I pray that you prepare our hearts and our minds to what it is that you want us to hear. Um, even one little tidbit that we can take away. I pray that you can open our hearts to what that is. Thank you, Lord. Amen. We need to know truly our position with Christ and our identity with Christ and then live rightly in that new identity. So we'll get to what our position with Christ and our identity with Christ is, but I wanted to first discuss what our identity with Christ is not. Or what is this temporary, what is the worldly, what is the carnal identity that the Apostle Paul says that we, as Christ followers, and we as having our position with Christ, should avoid? To answer this, of course, we're going to look at the passage. And we're actually going to start with verse 11. So Paul says in verse 11 of chapter 3 of Colossians that there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, um, slave-free. And it's, it's a long list. And this list relates to one's identity. Paul is talking about our identity. What is our identity? Well, if our identity is in Christ, which Paul makes that abundantly clear in this letter and in many other letters in the New Testament, And again, we'll circle back on that. What is our identity not? Our identity is not in this world. Our identity is not in the human constructs of of what the world makes us out to be. Our identity is also not time-sensitive. It's not built on the things of this world. 
Our identity in Christ trumps all other aspects of who we are. Our position with Christ is, uh, yeah, our position with Christ, not in everything else that the world tries to make us out to be. That's where verse 11 comes in. Paul labels several worldly constructs that the church in Colossae would have understood and would have been relatable. So Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, slave, free. Paul says these identities are not the be-all and end-all. Instead, Christ is the all and in-all, and that's what matters. Now, hear me out. This, this is important. Paul is not saying that these identities do not matter. Paul certainly knows and he understands that everybody has a different worldview, that everybody has different identities that make them who, who they are. But, he wants, but what he wants to make sure this good little church in Colossae and our good little church in, in Halliburton understand is that it is Christ. It is your relationship in Jesus that matters way more than any other identity that you may have. Sure, we all have identities that make us who we are, and, and Paul, the Apostle Paul spends a lot of time discussing these identities. In the very same letter in, Coloss- in Colossians, later on, Paul goes on to talk about husband and, husbands and wives and the way that Christian households should function. Being a wife, being a husband, is a form of identity, and this obviously has value, but it, of course, is not the be-all, end-all of where we should find our value and where our identity should come from. If we want to use other examples, Paul spends time um, talking about masters and slaves, Jews and Gentiles, males and female, all of which are forms of identity that, again, have value, they have merit, but they're also not the most important identity that we have. At the same time, we can still learn to function within these identities and live rightly within these identities, but in the end, they are worldly, in the end, they're temporal, temporary, and not where we should put our hope in. Paul knows that all these identities have merit. They exist, they're real. And Paul understands that although we don't get our identity from these things, being that our true identity is in Christ, does that mean that these things make us who we are, don't exist? No. All of us have different frames of reference. We all have different worldviews. We all have different backgrounds. We're male, female. We come from Christian homes and non-Christian homes. We're Canadian. We're Australian. These things matter. They're important. What Paul is saying here is that, that these things are temporary. They are worldly. And it brings us back to the headline. Not carnality, but Christ. Not temporary, not worldly, but Christ. Paul is saying here, just like what he was saying with philosophy and legalism, let's not get bogged down in these things. Let's not argue over our worldly identities. Let's not make our worldly identities the be-all and end-all of who we are. Instead, but Christ. Christ is who we are. Paul makes it abundantly clear that all people have access to an identity with Christ. Jewish people and non-Jewish people can find their identity in Christ, which would have been really hard for the church in Colossae to hear, um, because for so long that the, there was a separation between the Jews and non-Jews, and Paul's saying, no, everybody ha- can now have this identity with Christ. Jesus came for all people. All we have to do is believe and accept this, and we can become a new creation, a new self. Isn't that amazing? So often we get bogged down in, in all these worldly constructs of identity and forget that what truly matters is our identity in Christ. We all have access to an identity in Christ. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying here in verse 11. All these identities matter. They make a person who they are, but they also are all temporary. One day, all Christians will be with Christ as a new creation, and the worldly constructs of identity won't matter. But until then, we're still living in them. We need to know truly our position with Christ and our identity with Christ and then live rightly in that new identity. 
So let's talk a bit more about the worldly constructs of a temporary identity. Our identity from a worldly uh, standard is often shaped by an attempt to disappear our differences into, in, in terms of identity. The world will say, you can be whatever you want to be, no matter what, and, and who you are can be made up, it can be created, it can be dependent on influences around you, it can be dependent on majorities. The world will try and flatten the differences that God created in our lives so that it all blends together. Paul instead counteracts that message in a bit of a confusing way, calling out these specific identities and saying, our identity in Christ comes first. In other letters, though, as I mentioned, Paul distinctly talks about the specific viewpoints and acknowledges that they have merit. Paul spends time talking about husbands and wives and the differences of each. He talks about children and parents, slaves and free, and a lot about Jews and Gentiles. Paul acknowledges that each of these identities play a role in the church, but he also wants the church to understand that these identities are earthly and temporary. And the be-all, end-all is, in fact, our relationship with Christ. So if our identity is our relationship with Christ, and also the specific pieces that make us who we are from an earthly perspective, how are these identities lived out? And that's where a lot of this passage um, comes in. Paul starts in verse 5 by saying, put to death what is earthly in you. Paul very clearly is talking about the temporary earthly pieces that corrupt our minds, that influence our identities, our ideologies, that tempt us and, and cause us to sin. Paul says, put to death, put away, get rid of, block out, and then he lists a bunch of things. Paul says, it's because of these things, because of sin, that the wrath of God is coming. Verse 7, though, says, in these you too once walked. This is the identity in, in Christ piece. Those sinful natures, those are of the world. They're temporary. As a new creation, as Christians, those are behind us, and our new practices are to get rid of and flee from such sinful natures. Verse 8, Paul says, now, because of our identity with Christ, that's you and I, we must put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, and the rest. Why do we put these away? Why do we put to death these things? Because, verse 9, they are our old self, our old practices, and part of our old identities, which were apart from Christ. The practices of an identity without Christ, it's a lot of things, and I'm sure you can think of all sorts of different things. It's the anger, the sleeping around, the getting drunk every Saturday, the road rage, the pride, the selfish desires, the the disappearance of our differences into one large pool of whatever the world wants it to be for that given time. Paul fights against these practices of an old identity and says, get rid of them, put them away, and instead put on the new self, put on that new identity, which is now in Christ alone and is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So first, our old identity is gone. Those sinful behaviors are no more. And again, we'll come back to that. But now we have a new identity in Christ that is continuously being renewed in knowledge, The knowledge of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The knowledge of a new life that God has given all those who believe. The knowledge of the sinful behaviors that we so often fall into. The knowledge of the preeminence of Christ. So renewed in all of this knowledge after the image of its creator. Our identity as Christians is now based on the knowledge, renewed by the knowledge, after the image of our creator. We're made in God's image And we now base our identities in this knowledge and not on the temporary, not on the earthly, not on the carnal identities that the devil tries to throw at us. So first we have our old earthly temporary identities. And some of these identities include our heritage, our makeup, who we are. And of course, these have a place. And that's why the Apostle Paul talks about them so much in in other letters. Paul's also careful to point out, though, that our identity in Christ is the most important part of who we are as Christians. And that's what we need to focus on. 
as we focus on our identity with Christ, we are led to remove, we're led to flee from, we're led to putting away, put to death those sinful practices of our old identities that are a part of our old lives before Christ. Those practices of our old identities are listed, and we we put them away. Why? Because of the things that are above, because of the knowledge of Christ in our lives, and because of our new position as a Christ follower, as someone who is with Christ, as the first uh, three verses of the passage kind of point out. Our knowledge and our faith in Jesus gives us a new identity in Christ, not because of anything we've done, but solely by the grace of God. And it then leads us to putting away our sinful practices of our old identity, and it leads us to not worrying about the physical identities, those temporary and earthly identities that so often become more important than they should be in our lives, and focus solely on Christ as our new identity and the practices that come with it. We need to know truly our position with Christ and our identity with Christ, and then live rightly in that new identity. As we continue this morning, we're going to get into how this is lived out. So we've established uh, what is meant by identity, and now let's talk about how we live rightly in that new identity and in our new position with Christ. And to do this, we're going to digest three points to answer this. So first, we're going to talk about avoiding sinful ideologies of the world. We're then going to talk about living in the God-given identities we were made in, and then focusing on living rightly due to our position with Christ. And don't worry, they're they're not like each 15 minutes. (laughs) So what are the identities... Of the world, what are what are the sinful ideologies of the world, and how do we avoid falling into the sinful traps that they so often lead us to? And I skimmed through a little bit of this earlier, but I want to summarize some of the identities of the world in three ways. And there's a lot, but I, I wanted to kind of pin it down to three things. There's the anything goes mentality. There's the behavior determines your identity, and then there's a disconnect between Christians and non-Christians. So the anything goes mentality. One thing we notice within the world mentality is the idea that anything goes. You can be uh, anything you want. You can be anyone you want. You can do anything you want, as long as it really doesn't break the law. If it makes you happy, then go for it. What a wrong mentality to have. Ultimately, this comes back to the very nature of sin itself. If If you think about Adam and Eve, Eve was tempted by Satan as he got her to want to have knowledge of good and evil. She wanted more power. She wanted more knowledge. And here's the kicker. She wanted control. And Adam fell into this same trap. The world identity is is really all about control. You can control your own choices. You can control your activities. You can control the people around you. You can control your identity, your gender, your family, and so much more. That's again where our scripture comes in. Paul is speaking to the dangers of an identity infiltrated by a need for control. The world wants you to have free will to be in everything, to be and do anything you want, including the list of things in in verses 4 through 8 of the passage. The world also attempts to flatten our differences to the point where who you are, your heritage, your gender, your history, doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is that you have control. Now, hear me out. There are aspects to this that are good, right? There are aspects where having choice, having some control, um, not being glued to one profession, having the freedom to live out who God made you to be, But just like Pastor Paul quoted a few weeks ago, those aspects that are good often lead us to to conflicts and challenges about what is right and what is almost right. Sin is so often rooted in control, and the identities that the world wants us to live out is rooted heavily in its desire for us to be in control, even when that control is not natural, not pure, and not right. The Apostle Paul counteracts this lie. 
and he, uh, that the world tells us by saying very clearly who the control belongs to, Christ. As we relinquish control and allow God to act through us, as we discover our identity with Christ at the helm, God will then allow us to live out our identities with Christ in a way that is honoring to God, in a way that will allow us to be individuals, to still have our heritage, to still have our choices, yet not with the pressure and not with the complicated nature of sin on this world that results in an anything-goes mentality and a desire for control that so often leads us to the traps of sin. Another ideology uh, of the world is that behavior determines what our identity is. The world makes it clear that, that what you do is a reflection of who you are. What you do so often becomes your actual identity. That's why the pitfalls of money and career and sports as the be-all, end-all are so prevalent. If what we do really makes our identity, then why wouldn't you want money to be the focus? Why wouldn't you want sports or music or family relationships to be the focus? This false identity is not simply about one's occupation. It could also be the hobbies that you have. I'm a hockey player. I'm a swimmer. I'm a gardener. It could be your medical condition. I'm a diabetic. I'm I'm gluten-free. I have cancer. There's also the identities that are perceived by the world as wrong. I'm a a criminal. I'm a drunk. I'm an addict. The world lies to us and and tells us that, that what you do is your identity. What you do determines whether you are a success or a failure. What a hard world to live in. This comes back to the temporary worldly aspects that the Apostle Paul speaks to. If what we do makes up our identity, then what happens when that thing goes away? What happens when we can no longer swim or garden or when I'm no longer a husband? What happens when that peace or pieces disappear or change? We are left with a hollow hole that then gets filled with other things. And it becomes this never-ending cycle of attempting to fulfill a worldly successful identity that will never really be accomplished. It also will lead us to make that peace that is our perceived identity to be everything about us or at least to make us so focused on it that it leads us to step over others to get that extra buck, to be perceived as successful. It leads us again and again to fall into sins, to lie to each other, to be immoral. This worldly construct of identity is again counteracted by the only identity that we'll ever need, a Christ follower, our identity in Christ. Everything else falls away, but our identity with Christ is everything. So that is what we should live in. Not the idea that that what we do and our behavior makes our identity. Sure, those identities listed are are generally good. It's okay to want to make a good living. It's okay to be a swimmer. It's okay to focus on your family. Whatever it is that makes you you is is generally okay. But we also can't allow it to be the be-all, end-all of who we are. We also can't allow our behavior to dictate what our identity is. A third aspect of the world identity is a disconnect between Christians and uh, Christ followers and someone living away from Christ. If identity is determined by our behavior, which we just talked about, then that means the frame of reference from someone that is living in an identity away from Christ is that they are their sin. So if a confrontation happens, or if a Christ follower uh, calls out a sin or has a conversation, there's so often a divide where the non-Christian assumes that they are that sinful act that they are being called out on. And it leads to fighting back against this confrontation, and it leads to a greater conflict. There's so often no differentiation between their, 
the, their sin and their identity in a lot of contexts. So if we as Christ followers, we jump right to saying your sin is evil, that thing you do is wrong, a non-Christian or even a Christian living in the lie that behavior determines identity will jump right to the assumption that I guess that means I'm evil. I guess that means I'm not loved. As this happens, a few things then result from it. Either a person being confronted will fight back and not want anything to do with God, not want anything to do with Christianity because they do not accept that they're a sinner, or a person can get bogged down in the weight of their sin and assume that they should just keep that behavior up since it's already their identity. There's so often a negative response because this disconnect leads to conflict and divide instead of love. It is perceived as a personal attack against themselves and against their core identity instead of what maybe was meant as a loving confrontation. Without the ability to differentiate between behavior and identity, any criticism of what non-Christians do gets interpreted as a hateful violation of their very being. And it results in in it being very difficult to have meaningful dialogue. And I'll say this as a bit of an aside. As Christ followers, we also need to be very careful in our approach of these conversations because so often it it becomes all about judgment. It becomes an attack mode and not actually about God's grace and God's love. The Apostle Paul asks that good little church in Colossae and asks our good little church in Halliburton to focus on our identity with Christ as the root which will then lead to a new life and a new behavior set rooted in one's identity with Christ and not rooted in the lie that this behavior is my identity. When we go into these conversations and we start with the way in which our identity has been changed and the reason for our new practices, the guard then often gets let down because the root of the conversation is not about the hate, the behavior, it's not about the sin, but about the new identity that is available with Christ. So we've established some of these false identities that the world creates. Anything goes, behavior determines our identity, and a disconnect between Christians and non-Christians. And I know there's lots more, but um, I wanted to kind of shout out those three. These identities or attributes of the world identity are temporary. They're carnal and ultimately will let us down. So what do we do instead? Well, we need to know truly our position with Christ and our identity with Christ and then live rightly in that new identity. And it brings us to our second point. The Apostle Paul says that we need to live in the God-given identities we were made in. As we do this, we will then desire and have a calling to live rightly due to our position with Christ, due to our God-given identity, and not due to it being the cause of our salvation. So what are the God-given identities we are made in? Well, again, there are many, 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 many scriptures that we can talk about here. But let's first draw back to what the Apostle Paul is saying in our passage this morning. Our God-given identities are first and foremost Jesus himself. Verse 4 of, we're in Colossians 3, um, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Our God-given identities are as a Christ follower, as God's chosen people. And I know that seems like a simple answer, um, but it is literally literally the most important identity you can ever have. No longer is your identity based in your behavior. No longer is your identity based in your heritage. Again, jumping back to verse 11. No longer does it matter, Paul says that to the church in Colossae, if you're a Jew or Gentile, slave or free, husband or wife, barbarian, Canadian, male, female. None of that matters. Also, our behavior is important, but it doesn't make our identity. Our heritage is important, and Paul spends, again, a ton of time talking about this, but it doesn't make our identity, our occupation, our family, our country of birth, our race, whether we're a child or an adult, mother, father, 
That's all important, but it doesn't make our true identity. These things make us who we are, but they come second to our true identity in Christ. Why? Jumping up to verse 1, because we have been raised with Christ, and then jumping down to verse 10, and have been put and have put on our new self and are renewed in knowledge after the image of our Creator. We've been renewed. We've been redeemed. We're no longer a result of our sin. We're no longer a result of our behaviors. We're no longer locked to the patterns of this world. We are a new creation. God no longer has to shield his face from us because we are made new. The nature of God is that he cannot be near sin. But as, but as a new creation, because of Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection, all those who believe are able to now be in relationship with God. Once we establish that our identity is in Christ, then, and only then, are we able to understand, that's a key word, our calling to live rightly in Christ, which is our final point this morning. We need to focus on living rightly solely due to our position with Christ. It's so easy as Christians to not actually understand what our new identity, uh, to understand our new identity in Christ. It's so easy to get wrapped up in the lie that we are just a sinner saved by grace. This is a lie. Paul makes it very clear that the, uh, through the language that he uses that we were a sinner. We did live in our old position, in our temporary worldly position, that results in the list of sins that Paul lists. However, in reality, as a Christ follower, we are now a new creation in Christ and no longer a slave to those old behaviors. We no longer are held captive to that old position, to the old identities that the world throws at us. As a Christ follower, the only thing the devil can do now is tempt us. The only thing the devil can do now is deceive us, and that's what makes it so hard sometimes, because the devil's really good at deceiving us and really good at tempting us. And he'll lie to us and tell us about the false identities to live in and to get wrapped up in. If we do not fully understand, there's that knowledge piece again, our position with Christ, it will be much more easy to fall into the trap of believing the lie that we're just weak victims of outside forces and circumstances that we find ourselves in. As a result, this, the trap from the devil expands. The lie expands to make us believe that we're powerless to change much or anything, much of anything in our lives. If we do not understand our position with Christ and simply believe that we are weak, that we are a result of our circumstances, we will end up falling into behaviors of our old position of the world, the old behaviors, and not live out the behaviors, not live out the calling to live rightly due to our position with Christ. If we do not understand our position with Christ, if we do not understand our new identity, we will never be motivated to truly live rightly in this new identity. If our identity is not with Christ, and instead in the false ideologies we talked about earlier, then there is not a reason to live rightly other than maybe societal and moral reasons. And they're rooted in temporary things. They're rooted in the carnal worldly things. Sure, someone could try and be a good person, but that only goes so far. You can be a good person, and and that's great. I encourage you to be a good person. But why are you being a good person? Is it so that you can be appreciated? Is Is it so that the world can look at you and say, hey, that guy's great? Or is it rooted in the fact that you have a new identity with Christ, and therefore that is why we live rightly? If our behavior is the most important thing, if the reason we are good is for societal reasons, then it becomes much more difficult to resist the temptation that comes. If the reason we are good is for moral, societal, or simply identity reasons, I'm a good guy, then as soon as we mess up, as soon as we don't live up to whatever perceived moral and societal standard that we're living in, then our identity falls apart. 
Instead, Paul is saying here is that when our identity is first in Christ, we are led to have a calling to live rightly in Christ. Not because our behavior gets us to heaven, but because we are in fact Christ himself and we're a reflection of Christ onto the world and therefore we need to live that out. It also allows us to understand that when we fall short, and we definitely will fall short all the time, it does not mean that our identity is gone. It does not mean that God kicks us out of his, of his inheritance. When we fall short, we still have our identity with Christ. And it allows us to then pick up the pieces. It allows us to repent. It allows us to then lean into the grace of God. Our motivation is dictated by our identity with Christ and nothing else. Once we understand this, we are able to think about the way in which God wants us to live rightly. That is then how the Apostle Paul is able to spend so much time talking about the various aspects of living rightly. It starts first with understanding our position as having our identity in Christ, which Paul talks about in verses 1 to 3 and in other letters. Once we understand our position, we then can grasp that we need to live that position out by living rightly. It then also allows us to understand that our position with Christ comes first, and then our earthly identities, such as being a father, mother, child, whatever, you can list a whole bunch, is still important, but a secondary and temporary piece of who we are. These temporary pieces still matter, and as we understand them, we can learn to live rightly in them. That's why Paul spends letters talking about husbands and wives and Jews and Gentiles and slaves and free. We need to live in the identities of the world that we have. We can't change our heritage. I'm still a weir. I'm still, you know, whoever I am. I'm still a husband. I'm still a father. We, we need to live rightly in these pieces. But it's a result of first our position with Christ, and then that leads us to our understanding of our calling to live rightly within these other positions that are, in fact, temporary, yet still important. That's the understanding and the knowledge piece that's so important to understand. If we do not have the knowledge of our position with Christ, what that means and how that leads to our calling to live rightly within our other positions in the world, we will never be able to fully grasp and fully buy in to living rightly. And we'll always attempt to live up to temporary pieces of the world that will never get us where we want them to go. Our position with Christ leads us to a calling to new practices. So really quickly, let's finish this morning with the nitty-gritty. How do we live rightly? How do we live out our calling within our position with Christ? What are the new practices? Well, that's why Paul is very clear about putting to death the things in verses 5 through 9. Our calling is to put to death these things that God can never be around due to the nature of his holiness. That's why we need to put to death and flee from sexual immorality. We need to be careful what comes into our minds. We need to be careful to live with purity. We need to flee from our evil desires. We need to flee from covetousness and idolatry. Um, So many things that that we as a church spend so much time talking about, and for good reason. Paul goes on in verse 7 to remind the church that these things were what we used to walk in. They were a result of our old identity. They were a result of our old position in worldly things, and not a result of our new position, our new identity with Christ. And again, Paul goes on to list more items, anger, wrath, malice, slander. He also talks about how lying results in conflict within the church. All of this is done due to our position with Christ and our desire to live rightly for God. So we can spend tons of time talking about all of these things that we can live rightly due to our position with Christ. And in the very next verses, we actually see Paul talk about some of the things that we can put on as a result of our position with Christ. Really, a large part of our small groups, a large part of reading the Bible, a large part of coming to church and and listening to sermons is about how we live rightly due to our identity with Christ. 
Our identity with Christ leads us to a constant desire to live rightly as a reflection of Christ himself. That's the most important thing to understand this morning. Is your identity in Christ alone? Are you allowing your identity with Christ to be the most important part of who you are? Are you fleeing from the false identities that the world will try and throw at you? Are you fleeing from the old practices that are a result of your old identity before Christ? Do you understand that by knowing and understanding and believing in the death and resurrection of Jesus, and by accepting that into your life, you now have a new position with Christ himself and as a reflection of Christ himself? That's good news. You are no longer bound by the temporary, corrupt, evil identities of the world. You can live out this position in all other areas of your life. And then when you mess up, you can trust that your position with God is not lost. Isn't that amazing? We need to know truly our position with Christ and our identity with Christ and then live rightly in that new identity. Let's pray. Father God, um, there's a lot to unpack here and I wish I had three more hours to talk. Um, But Lord, I'm just so thankful for for the identity that that you give us, the identity that we are able to have um, through you, God. And I pray that we can um, that we could discover that more and more every day. Um, I pray for those of us that maybe don't fully know um, our identity with Christ. I pray that you can reveal to us um, your love and, and what we can have through you, God. And I pray that we can also um, flee from the practices of our old identity, flee from the practices of the world, flee from those temporary pieces that, that corrupt our mind, Lord, and, and focus solely on what it means to have an identity with you. Thank you for that. Thank you for that privilege, Lord. Amen.